We are going through the book of Revelation, and today we are finishing up chapter 6, which is the seven seals. Uh, in brief review, we remember that we open up in John, or excuse me, Revelation chapter 1, we find John and John having a revelation of Jesus. That's what, that's what revelation means. It's the revelation of Jesus, not as the suffering servant in humility, giving his life as the Lamb of God, but we are going to have the King of kings and Lord of lords and all his glory revealed to us in this great book. Of course, a book is outlined for us. John's told to write what you have seen. That would be in chapter 1, <clears throat> the glorified Christ, with every uh, characteristic or attribute traceable to the Old Testament, and then reference to those particular attributes used as direct sources of encouragement to each of the seven churches for a specific, specific need that they might have. Then John was told to write about the things which are, that would be the seven churches that were addressed here, and I believe prophetically that's speaking of the church age, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, those seven churches in that order is a perfect type of the antitype being the church era. And then we see that John's to write what will be hereafter, metatauta in the Greek, write what happens next. Well, that begins with chapter 4, verse 1, and we see a very similar phrase use in, uh, phrases used in chapter 4, 1 that we find in 1 Thessalonians 4 and also in 1 Corinthians 15. I believe it very clearly is a picture of the rapture as immediately John was caught up into God's throne room. He saw these four wild creatures, uh, cherubim or seraphim, surrounding the throne, crying out, holy, holy, holy. Saw an angelic host, <coughs> uh, um, a myriad, times a myriad. Uh, and then he saw four and twenty elders. And again, the four and twenty elders, I believe, to be the representative body, just as there were 24 courses that represent the entirety of the Levitical priesthood, I believe those 24 elders represent the entirety of us as priests of God during this church age. Then we see everything that's going on in heaven. Chapter 4 and 5, you will not understand unless you are familiar with Daniel chapter 7, and in particular when the Son of Man came and took from the Ancient of Days a title deed to planet Earth. We see that documented in Revelation 11, that it's this period of time where the creator of all creation has actually come gain control over what had been forfeited away. Just as in the old economy, an individual might mortgage his property uh, to another, but a kinsman redeemer, if he fulfilled the requirements, if he was a near kinsman, if he had the ability to, and if he was willing, a near kinsman could come back and execute the terms of that legal document. Well, the creator of all is going to rule over all visibly and obviously. Uh, at this point in time, and that's what the seven years of tribulation are. I would also ask you to go back and look at Jeremiah 32 as a, as a type of what the Lord Jesus did. As Jeremiah bought a part of, parcel of property from a relative, uh, and that property was actually outside the city of Jerusalem in Anathoth at that point in time under the control of the Babylonians, but Jeremiah was told to purchase it anyway, knowing that one day one of his near kinsmen would redeem that land. So all of that is dealing with what we're dealing with here in the book of Revelation. 
as uh, the Son of Man, as the one who is worthy and able to open the seals of the, of the book, which is the title deed to planet Earth, and fulfill the requirements as our kinsman redeemer. Uh, Revelation 6 through 19, we really get into all of the, uh, uh, I guess, so-called good stuff. We, we will begin with these uh, seven seals, which we're almost through. Then we transition into the seven trumpets. Then we transition into the seven vials or bowls of wrath. That's wrapped up with Armageddon in chapter 19. Then we see the millennial reign of Christ in chapter 20. And then we see the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem, and all eternity in chapters 21 and chapters 22. So that is the entirety of the book of Revelation. Now we're in chapter 6 right now. We're dealing with the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And as I, I've told you in past weeks, you know, Revelation pr- promises a special blessing to anyone that reads it and studies it. I believe that part of the reason that that blessing is promised is because to understand what's being written in Revelation, you have to have familiarity and knowledge of the entirety of the Old Testament. So in order to properly uh, define uh, what's going on in the book of Revelation, you have to be able to trace it back to the Old Testament. The four horsemen is a perfect example. We are first introduced to types of these horsemen in Zechariah chapter 1 and in Zechariah chapter 7. In those two passages, we find out that they are being sent out by God to patrol the earth. We find that God is displeased with the current condition that the Gentile nations are, are uh, uh, reveling in this period of time where there is no Israel. In fact, Israel is subjugated to the Gentile nations, and these riders are dispatched in order to judge the world and to appease God's anger. Now, there are, I guess now, four different rapture scenarios. And I've preached on this many times before, um, and I'm sure I will again if the Lord tarries. There is the pre-tribulation rapture believer, which is what I am. I believe that the rapture will happen shortly thereafter, whether it be the Battle of Gog and Magog that leads to the peace treaty, but there will be a peace treaty enacted by the Antichrist. Very clear in Daniel chapter 9. As a matter of fact, here's the thing. If if you say, well, Pastor, what if you're wrong? Well, first of all, I'm never wrong. No, no, no. I'm not, but here's how you would know. Well, is there some clear uh, distinction? Is there something that you just can't miss? Yes. If the temple is rebuilt and you see someone step inside the temple and say, I'm God, worship me or die, then you'll know you're at the midpoint of the tribulation. At that point, resist the mark of the beast. So that would be a dead giveaway. However, God deals with the the church is exclusive from Israel. And uh, we are actually hidden, the Bible tells us, in Jesus' mystery parables of the kingdom Also, as Paul talks about the church in the book of Ephesus, that this age is hidden in the Old Testament, not revealed to the prophets which have come before us. So I am absolutely convinced by it for a number of reasons that the rapture will happen before the tribulation. That does not mean that we will escape trouble. That does not mean that we will escape martyrdom. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. We've had Christians persecuted by man for 2,000 years. If you are a Christian today in communist China or in uh, Afghanistan or in Iran, we wouldn't be meeting like this. 
uh, they'd arrest us and persecute us and possibly kill us. We would be meeting in underground churches. So uh, the church is facing persecution everywhere except here in America. And we may be on the brink of losing that. I don't know if you saw this last week, you saw a group of pro-life prayer warriors outside an abortion clinic arrested for peacefully praying outside this clinic. Arrested, and they could face up to, what, I think 11 years in prison for praying outside of an abortion clinic. You had a a group of illegal um, aliens uh, that attacked two police officers in Times Square were trying to kick them in the head. Now, folks, if you're trying to kick somebody in the head, you're trying to kill them ultimately. Uh, And these men were arrested. They weren't even charged. They weren't even held overnight. There was no bail. They were released almost immediately. So rest assured, we, if we don't see a great awakening, we will see the great reset. So that's not mutually separate are dependent upon uh, the, the tribulation. We may see persecution here. However, that period of tribulation where God pours out His wrath on man, we won't be a part of. But uh, some say, okay, we got pre-trib, pre-trib rapture, which is what I am. There are some that are post-trib rapture. And then there are some that are mid-trib rapture, that the Lord will come, the, the church will live through the first three and a half years, and then take the, uh, take the church, and then you have the last three and a half years. And some are a little bit more distinct than that. They call themselves pre-wrath rapture, which what their definition is, whatever point the vials of wrath are poured out, that's when God's wrath begins. So the, the, the uh, uh, seals and most of the trumpets are dealing with man's inhumanity. Uh, but God's miraculous vengeance is, is simply the bowls of wrath. I, I do not think that is correct. I think that what we see today is, is actually accurate. I think this entire seven years is God's judgment. In fact, I can prove that in Daniel chapter 9 because he said, I have determined 70 years to afflict upon your people, Daniel, in your holy city. So this entire 70th week of Daniel is God's wrath. And you see people that say, well, there's a difference between an army invading a country or lightning coming from heaven. Well, at the end of the day, if you're dead, it really doesn't matter. Dead is dead. Uh, but God uses armies, and he calls it his wrath. Look at Ezekiel 29, 8. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, uh, Ezekiel, tell the Jews, I am going to bring a sword upon them. Well, who did the invasion? Well, it was actually Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. But God is the one taking credit for it. God is using Nebuchadnezzar as his instrument. Ezekiel 30. I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon and put my sword in his hand. I will break Pharaoh's arms. So who is doing the judging? Is this Nebuchadnezzar or is this God? It's God using Nebuchadnezzar to do the judgment. Then, of course, Ezekiel 33, when I bring the sword upon the land. So the idea of the first trumpets and everything else is more of man persecuting man. Well, that is uh, one of the tools that God uses to bring judgment. In fact, we'll see some more specificity on that in just a moment. Now, So far, we have seen this rider on a white horse with a Stephanos, a victor's crown, uh, with a bow with no arrows. 
conquering through peace. Last week, we looked at all the prophecies in the Old Testament that talked about a subtle, smooth-talking politician that will claim power through uh, strategy rather than war. Then, of course, we see the rider on the the red horse. This is the absence of peace. So we see initially this one coming out saying, peace, peace. In fact, we need to disarm. No one needs to have guns. Uh, We are in utopia now. And of course, as soon as the populace is disarmed, every tyrannical communist government has turned around and started uh, afflicting their own people. Take a look at what happened during COVID. I mean, we were able to maintain. In fact, if you were a member of our church, you you largely lived a normal life because we did. You know, I, I played golf, came to church, ate at home, pretty much about the existence of my life, and never wore a mask. The only time I wore a mask is when I wasn't wearing it high enough and getting thrown off an American Airlines flight in Dallas. So I wasn't even wearing it well when I was wearing it. But, but, but you saw video of people in, in Australia being arrested by police for running on the beach. Away from everybody, just somebody out jogging. You see people being arrested for going outside of their apartments without wearing masks. Guess what? When people don't have the ability to defend themselves from their own government, tyranny always, not some of the time, always follows. That's what I see here, global tyranny. Then you see want, you see rationing, you see the black horse with balances, and you see what's said in that passage said, uh, a black horse and on a pair of balances. We looked last week in some Old Testament passages of Scripture which uh, confirm what that means. There is want, there is rationing, there is famine in the land. They have to measure out food day by day. And you see what this says here. A measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. Well, the irony is, as we're looking at these horse and riders, that would be what it took to feed a human bare minimum substance for a day and to feed one's horse bare minimum substance for a day. So basically, uh, you will work all day and have just enough to hopefully feed yourself and get your bills paid at the end of the day. Uh, To me, that looks like, obviously, we've seen the crackdown on food. We've seen these globalists themselves talking about how farming is hurting the environment and how they're trying to cut down on the world's food supply. Folks, the insanity of this, it has to be satanic because nobody could be this stupid. I mean, you got Bill Gates saying that they're going to buy up millions of acres of forests and cut down all the trees and bury them. For climate change. Now, if I remember science correctly, wasn't there something called photosynthesis where plants took the CO2 and turned it into oxygen? So we've got too much CO2, they say, this greenhouse pollutant, which is not. CO2 is plant fertilizer. It's plant food. So in order to attack this too high a CO2, we're going to destroy all these trees so they can't be taking care of the CO2 and turning it into... This is just nuts. And it's all for control. You know, if you get to the end of the day where you're begging your government for a a morsel of food at the end of the day, they absolutely exercise complete control over you. And by the way, as I said last week, if you want to turn, change the personality of a people, if you want to turn a people from love your neighbor as yourself, do unto others, unto the strong survive, dog-eat-dog Darwinian type of world, Easiest, the quickest way of doing that is no food, where people will do 
anything, literally anything, including, as we saw in some of the judgments in Jerusalem, eating their own children because they're that hungry. They want to turn you into an animal because they believe that we are animals. But notice the last part of this verse. We didn't get to that. There is oil and wine. Now, oil and wine were symbols of prosperity. They were some of the better things of life. So apparently, although there is not enough wheat and barley to go around for the common man, there's plenty of oil and wine available. And those of you that have ever studied communism in every state-run tyrannical regime, only a privileged few have wealth and live like kings, flying in their jets and driving in their limousine, while the masses are all impoverished, impoverished, barely getting by from day to day. And again, what do you call a person that works all day and only gets enough to feed himself for that day? I'd call that person a slave. That's exactly right. And we see what results next. Chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, When he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale green horse, and his name that sat upon him was Death. And hell followed with him. Now, death and hell are separate. Death and hell refers to the body and the soul. The body goes into the grave. The soul currently goes to Hades. Death and hell symbolizes the bo- both together. Followed him. And power was given unto them over one-fourth of the world's population to kill one-fourth of the world's population with sword, hunger, uh, pestilence, and wild beasts. So 25% of the world's population is going to die at this point with the uh, fourth seal being open. Now let's look at those four judgments. And we find again that these are consistent in Scripture. Before the Jews ever got into the promised land, while they were wandering in the wilderness. Matter of fact, it's repeated in Deuteronomy at the end of the 40 years. But this would have been at Mount Sinai at the beginning of the 40 years when they were receiving the law. And here's what the Lord says in Leviticus 26. I jump around various verses in there, but uh, this this is uh, what I'm going to read to you. If you walk contrary unto me and don't obey me, then I will send wild beasts among you which shall rob you of your children and destroy your cattle and make you few in number and your highways shall be desolate because it won't be safe to go out at night. And again, God talking. I, who's talking? I will bring a sword upon you. So again, this confirms what I said a moment ago. Even though a country may be the instrument of God's justice and judgment, that doesn't mean that is not God's wrath. Once again, God is saying, I am the one that's responsible for this punishment. I will bring a sword upon you, an invading army, and they shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. And when you're gathered together within your cities... I will send, now normally they would go inside wall cities and try to hold out there in the siege. I will send pestilence among you. What's the next COVID strand we're going to have this year? I can hardly wait. And you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy when I have broken the staff of your bread. That's famine. Notice this next phrase. There will be 10 women all sharing one oven because there isn't enough food for 10 ovens. You got 10 women uh, huddled around one oven to deliver you your bread again by weight. In other words, by rationing, measuring it out. And you shall eat, but you'll still be hungry. 
And you shall, and if you will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury. Even I will chastise you seven times for your sins. So we see those four judgments laid out here as what's coming if you disobey. Then in Ezekiel, we see Ezekiel quoting the same judgment. This is what God warned 2,500 years ago. For thus saith the Lord God, how many more when I send my four sore judgments upon Jerusalem? The sword, famine, noisome beasts, and pestilence to cut off from it man and beast. In, order, in other words, to eliminate uh, wildlife and humanity from the region of Israel in this particular case. Now, next seal. These same four judgments that we've seen talked about in the Old Testament so we see the Old Testament, again, is not a separate work from the New Testament. It's one revelation from Genesis through the book of Revelation, one revelation given by the same author, and we see the same use of terminology and definitions. And we open the fifth seal. I saw the altar of the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord? Holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little while until their fellow servants also and their brethren that shall be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So we see these saints martyred. Now these are tribulation saints now in heaven under the altar. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's look. And again, where are we going to look? We're going to look in the Old Testament. Recognize that what they were instructed to do on the altar. The priests shall take a sacrifice, in particular on the Day of Atonement, take some of the blood and put it upon the four horns of the altar. The altar is made out of things of the earth. No human tools were used to construct it. The altar is a type of earth. Type of, and the four horns, uh, obviously horns represent power, but in this case, it also represents the four corners of the earth, so-called, north, south, east, and west. So you anoint the four horns with the blood of the sacrifice, dedicating them for holiness, sanctifying all of this um, upon the all, horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord. So they would do it on the inside altar, the golden altar, as well as the outside altar which is the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour all the blood of the bullock at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now, as you've heard me say, and I do consistently, the proper way to understand all of this stuff is to actually get into some Jewish history and find out how they defined terminology. In this one, I went to a, a, a Jewish sage from Spain that lived in about 1100. And his, his nickname was Rambam. He was, his, his name was Moshe ben Maimon, uh, but he was uh, a, a famous rabbi. And he made this statement that is uh, held in some of the Jewish tradition. One that is buried in the land of Israel was atoned for. Now, obviously, that is not biblical, but the way the Jews think, sent, Judaism, when the temple was destroyed, changed. Christianity and Jewish history were one and the same up until Jesus. When the Jews rejected the Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world, we remember that the Gospels tell us that the veil in the temple was torn in half from top to bottom. That meant we no longer needed a son of Aaron, a Levitical priest, to make intercession for us. 
our high priest is the Lord Jesus. And because of him and he being at the right hand of the Father, we can through him go to God the Father with boldness and confidence at any point in time. But understand, at 70 A.D., when the Romans destroyed the temple, at that point, all of a sudden, the Sanhedrin had to go, oh, nuts, now what do we do? We got all God's law, and it all revolves around the sacrificial system. We don't have a temple anymore. We don't have an altar anymore. Well, they moved their headquarters to the coast in a city called Yamnia. And around 85 to 90 A.D., the Jewish sages... The, their, their version of the Sanhedrin met and they began arriving at what's called Talmudic Judaism. You've heard of the Talmud? Well, the Talmud is obviously not the Bible. The Talmud is Jewish tradition. And what they would do is, okay, now, now we don't have an altar, so we can't do the sin offering. Uh, what are we going to do about the Day of Atonement? We can't go into the Holy of Holies. We can't put blood uh, on the mercy seat. What do we do? Ah, oh, okay, who votes that we do good deeds Okay, you got, okay, okay, we got an 11 to 4 vote that we do good deeds. So we'll write our positions on that, opinions on that. And they have replaced the Word of God with traditions of men to help them get through this era where they cannot follow God's law. Now, obviously, we understand why there's no temple there now. We understand who our high priest is. They don't. However, some of their traditions and how they define things, there's still great value in this. And notice what he says here. If one is able to be buried in the promised land. And, of course, he didn't even live there. Uh, I've shown you pictures of the Mount of Olives, uh, how going at this big cemetery, going up from the Kidron Valley, going out to the east, the Mount of Olives. And that's high-rent burial ground. But, but if you are richer than rich, you can buy some property over there, and you can be buried there. And you always faced east. Because the temple faces east, the Messiah is coming from the east, and you can be right there And on the resurrection of Daniel 12. You'll be first in line and stand up, obviously feet first, stand up to meet the Messiah. So that's what they're doing. But they believe, okay, so being buried in Israel is, is as good as if you were at the place where it is the altar of atonement. So what are you saying, Pastor? Leviticus indicates that the blood of the sacrifice of the atonement thrown on the altar. The Jewish tradition seems to indicate that there was a connection between the holy altar and atonement for, and being found righteous. The sacrifice was made. The blood was thrown at the base of the altar. And then you look at this, that these are considered, it's as, as considered holy or atoned for if you were buried at the base of the altar. So again, in the Jewish line of thought, what they're saying here is these souls that are underneath the altar in heaven are redeemed. They are atoned for, which is quite obvious. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in heaven. Is everybody with me? But that's what that statement references going into a Jewish background. These are atoned for. And what are they saying? Oh, God, have mercy on them. They didn't know what they were doing. No, they're saying, Lord, kill them. That's the prayer in heaven. I won't, well, I'm not going to be in that group. I won't be in that group, but I'll be saying the same thing. And what's the answer? Well, God is long-suffering. God's patient. Remember in Genesis 15, when uh, God told Abraham that his descendants would be in a strange land for 400 years? And he said, because the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. God has got great patience. And sometimes, like now, we don't like that. But when we look back and we consider our own walk 
And the period of time it took for God to get our attention, where we finally said yes and surrendered to Him, we're very thankful that God has patience. But God is patiently enduring. So you've got the souls of these that are martyred during the first three and a half years of the tribulation in heaven, but a distinct group separate from the four and twenty elders, and they're crying out, Lord, how long are you going to put up with this stuff? When is justice going to be done? When are you going to do something about this? Don't you hear the the blood of Abel, righteous Abel, crying out from the ground all these years? Lord, when are you going to act? And the response is, not quite yet, but you just wait. And behold, when he had opened the sixth seal, lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs. And when she is shaken of a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. You know, it's interesting. They now talk about the fabric of space. And physicists talk about space. And, and then you see terminology like this. Heavens rolled out like a scroll. There may be more truth to that than we are even aware of. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Now, some commentators reference this as just general anarchy. And they try to allegorize these prophecies that are laid out in these two verses. And that's possible. However, when the, when, when the plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense, lest it become nonsense. You know, when we recognize that the tribulation is going to be man's inhumanity to man, there's going to be natural cataclysmic disasters, and there's also going to be supernatural cataclysmic disasters. Remember, we're talking about the same God that uh, reigned for 40 days and flooded the earth. We're talking about the same God that turned the Nile River into blood. We're talking about the same God that divided the, the Red Sea to where the Jews walked through it on dry land. So there will be supernatural disasters that that accompany this seven-year period. And let's look at some other passages and see if we can nail down, again, confirmation of this period that we're talking about. Isaiah 13, verses 9 through 11. Behold, the day of the Lord's coming. Okay? Day of the Lord. You heard me say this before. Technically, the day of the Lord is the millennial reign of Christ, the age of the Messiah. But what brings in the day of the Lord is the 70th week of Daniel, the seven years of tribulation. So when it says, talks about this, it's going to be a day of of great terror. It's talking about that doorway, the seven years into the tribulation. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened and is going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and I will low, lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. By the way, this is a number of, another of many reasons I do not believe the church will be uh, in the tribulation period. Uh, this is, we will not face God's wrath Quite frankly, God's wrath was poured out on us and was received by Jesus on Calvary's cross. We may face hatred from man or persecution from Satan, but we will not experience uh, the wrath of God since we are his children. Uh, Joel 2, this is talking about the great and terrible day of the Lord. The earth shall quake before them. 
the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining, and the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can abide it? Remember this verse, we'll come back to it in a minute, but this very verse is quoted in Revelation 6.19. That's how that chapter comes to a close. We'll, we'll reference this again in a minute. Joel 2, again, continuing in the same topic. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood, fire, pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in the Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord hath said and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Now, folks, when it's talking about the sun being darkened, could be a number of things. One, it could be the sun is darkened. You say, wait a second, Pastor, that doesn't matter. That, that doesn't work. We get our light from the sun. Yes. But if you go back and you look at the creation account, the light and the darkness were separated the day before God created the sun and the moon. Now try to explain that one. Well, but for God, there is no explanation. And then this could be the sun being turned out. It could be smoke and other things from, from war or devastation or fires that literally cover the sun or make the moon appear to be blood. So I'm open to any of those. We'll see if we can't find more clarity as we go through Scripture this time and as we go through the book of Revelation again. Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened. The moon shall not give her light. The stars shall fall from the heaven. And the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Then, at that point in time, folks, rapture is going to come. Half the world's not going to know what even happened. But at the second coming, no one's going to miss it. And they won't be happy that Jesus shows up. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. I got to tell you, when I hear the trumpet sound, I think I'm going to have a big smile on my face. Different occurrence. This is not the followers of Jesus caught up to be with Jesus. This is King Jesus coming to rule and reign over planet earth at Armageddon and the kings of the earth that are in rebellion. And folks, can you imagine, are we, are we just bat crazy? We are in utter rebellion in every phase right now. You know, I was, I was, I was, it was ironic. I was sitting there watching TV last night with my wife. or Actually, it was in the end of the evening, and we were cleaning up the kitchen. We had the TV on. It was like, you know, what's nuts is everybody realized there's two genders. But now, when you see these commercials advertising the army, they're trying to push women into doing men's work. So we're, we're trying to make women masculine, and we're trying to make men effeminate. So at the end of the day... We still have, we have men acting like women and women acting like men. Well, why, why not we just honor God and have men that act like God's men and women that behave like God's women? Doesn't that make more sense? And for only married couples, our, our, this new senator, Dusty Devers, is out here catching Hades from the lost world because he's putting out, he's wanting to do away with no-fault divorce. I'm fine with that. You know what? You make divorce too easy and you think it's an option. Folks, marriage ought to be cherished. And you ought to, you know what? Dr. Gibson, let me ask you. How many years have you been married, sir? Is every day easy? You can be honest. She's not going to keep. 
I'll answer it for him. Yeah. <laughs> hey, just like you have to work at life, you have to work at marriage. It's not always easy. I'm going to tell you, hey, we, we all know life is not easy. And sometimes, even though you're living life together, it's not easy. But you shouldn't have a, a quick exit button, because that never makes it better anyway. Most of the time, you just, you, well, anyway, I'm not going to go. We don't have time for all that. I'm going to try to get to the end of this chapter. All right. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man. They, okay, so they're going to be grieving when they see the appearance of the Lord. All right, let's pick it up here. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us! Hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come. Who shall be able to stand? So with the first five seals, we see man's wickedness as this global system of, of I think, global communism, global fascism put into place. We see one-fourth of the world's population is killed. We see a multitude of tribulation believers martyred. At this point in time, you can imagine the Lion of Judah getting up on his four paws and shaking his mane as he gets ready to roar. The sixth seal, the trumpet judgments comes forth, shakes the entire earth with a shaking rivaled only, I'm sure, by the time of Noah when the fountains of the deep broke forth and the great flood followed. And again, as I said a moment ago, what causes the sun to be dark or the moon to turn, turn red? It could be volcanic ash filling the heavens. This could literally be meteors falling from the sky. Uh, but the world shook so much, it says, that the topography of the world changes worldwide. And in the midst of all this, as it's happening, it says in this last verse, every man... Didn't matter whether he is rich or poor. So this will include Bill Gates and George Soros' son. Rich or poor, bond or free, knew and acknowledged that this was the wrath of God. But just like when Adam and Eve had sinned, instead of falling on their faces and crying out to God for mercy, they went and tried to hide from God, so too we see this entire body recognizing that this is the wrath of the Lamb. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to hide from His wrath, trying to be covered by, by stones and everything else. Now, we're going to wrap up right here, uh, but let me just give two more slides to finish. Oh, go back right here. Joel 2. I'm sorry, I got, just, I got a couple more slides here, but we are about to wrap up. We're not going to get into chapter 7. I referenced this a moment ago. This is quoted in Revelation 6, 19. The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining, and the Lord shall utter His voice before His army. That's in Armageddon. His camp is very great, for He is strong that executeth His word. And the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can survive? That's exactly what we ended with in chapter 6. For the great day of His wrath has come. Who shall be able to stand? Who can abide it? Who shall be able to survive? Now, we see what's talked about here in Joel. I told you that from Revelation 6 through Revelation 19, it's detail on the events that are in the seven years of tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel. 
Now, that's confirmed again. It's confirmed in many ways, but confirmed again here. Because the direct quote from Joel 2 is what's used here in Revelation 6 in the middle of these seals being opened. Well, what's Joel talking about? Assemble yourselves together and come, all you Gentiles. Gather yourselves together round about. Uh, Thither cause the mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Lord, draw them down. Bring all the Gentile nations down. Psalm 2, they shake their fists at God and say, we'll not have you rule over us. They come together in Armageddon. Again, you go a little farther here. Joel 3, verse 15 through 17. The sun and the moon shall be darkened. The stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord shall roar out of Zion. There's the lion of Judah. Roar! And utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall be no Gentiles pass through her, unsaved people pass through her anymore. But Judah shall dwell forever in Jerusalem from generation to generation, and I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. See, verse 20 and 21 is basically in response to the prayer of those underneath the the altar in heaven. How long, O Lord? When is there going to be justice? Abel's blood cries out from the earth. When are you going to seek vengeance? Well, God says, wait, I will cleanse their blood that I have not yet dealt with, for the Lord does dwell in Zion. So this that we're dealing with, according to Joel 3, according to Zechariah 14, according to Revelation 6 through 19, this is the great and terrible day of the Lord. In particular, it's the seven years that we call the great or the tribulation. The, the time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel. Now, chapter 7 is going to be a parenthetical insert. We're going to get a little farther, and we're going to see another one, chapters 10 through 14. Then we're going to see another one later in chapter 16. Now, let me explain what a parenthetical insert is, because a lot of people get confused in their study of Revelation because they don't understand the timeline that's happening here. Imagine watching a football game. And you've got the play-by-play man telling you exactly what's going on in real time. That's what we have in Revelation. Revelation. John, I want you to write the things which will be hereafter. So you see the play-by-play voice, which we just saw through all of chapter 6 as the seals are being opened. Now we're going to have pause in chapter 7, and the color commentator is going to come in, and he's going to add some background and some depth and history as to what's going on. He's going to elaborate as why we just saw the offense run that play. Remember back in the first half in the first quarter when the, when the Bears were, were getting ready to march down the field. Remember they ran such and such. That was to set up the, the color commentator adds the color as to what's going on behind the scenes and why. So just like in Genesis 1 and 2, we don't see two accounts of creation In Genesis 1, we see the creation account. In Genesis 2, we see some color adding some depth to that creation count. So that's what these parenthetical inserts are. We're going to see some color added to what we have just seen and to help us have understanding to what we're about to see. Now, Chuck Missler is in heaven, but uh, he has been an influence on me. He's out of the Calvary Chapel movement. 
first uh, ran across Chuck's material back about 2005 when we were getting involved in the Islam issue. Matter of fact, we, we've had Avi Lipkin in our church many times. He's a good friend and an Orthodox Jew, um, very active in, in uh, conservative issues and, and, of course, for Israel. Uh, but I met Avi because of, of Chuck. But anyway, uh, this is, I want to give, the reason I say that is I want to give credit. I did not do this diagram. This actually comes from, this diagram comes from the Koinonia Institute, uh, Chuck Missler, who is now in heaven. But we, we have a tendency of laying out the seven uh, uh, seals and then the seven trumpets and then the seven bowls as if it was one straight linear line. We are really going to pay attention as we go through this time and see if we can't make perfect sense of how the timing of all of this is. Actually, within the seventh seal are the seventh trumpets. So you get the seventh, seven seals. The seventh seal opened is the seven trumpets. The seventh trumpet blown is the seven bowls of wrath. And then, of course, as I've said before with pregnancy, it begins not, uh, three months later, you're starting to show... Um, four and a half months in, you're really starting to show morning sickness, all that stuff's over here. Now we got swelling, and then we got, uh, uh, what, uh, birth pains and false labor, and then we have labor pains, and then they get more intense and more intense, and right down here, you're going to see the, the oceans turn to blood, the rivers turn to blood, uh, utter darkness so dark you can feel it, scorching earth. Let me tell you what, it really picks up with intensity. Some of these uh, uh, these judgments that are described here had to come within a period of no more than seven to ten days. I don't know, doc, doc, the docs that we have in here, how long can a person live without water? Three days? We, yeah, well, I mean, so we get down here to where there, there's nothing but blood to drink. It's got to be happening in really rapid succession at that point in time. But this is basically an overview, chapter 6 through, uh, actually chapter 16, 17 and 18. Again, is a little bit of an overview talking about Mystery Babylon. Then 19, as we see Armageddon, and then we, we wrap it up with the new Jerusalem and uh, new heavens, new earth, and, and no more tears, no more sorrows. Boy, won't that be. We'll, we'll, obviously, there will not be Chicago Bear football or Oklahoma State athletics in heaven. It says no more tears and no more sorrows. So. <laughs>